Welcome to CinemaScope, a new podcast from True Story FM. Hi, I'm Andy Nelson, co-host of the Next Real Film podcast and Movies We Like. As a passionate movie lover, I've always relished exploring the diverse landscape of cinema. And when you look closer at the taxonomy of genres, subgenres, and film movements, you see an intricate web of interconnections and influences. This complex cinematic family tree spans only 125 years. So how did styles as diverse as the French New Wave, New Queer Cinema, and Ozploitation emerge? What cultural, economic, and technological forces sculpted these styles? And what hidden threads unite them all as part of the same fantastic art form? Those questions sent me on a journey to explore each style and trace their impacts, all to better understand the bridges between different styles. And that led me here to CinemaScope. In each episode, I'll be exploring one particular genre, subgenre, or film movement in depth, inviting expert guests to help us all better understand what defines that style, how it came to be, and what branches it, in turn, influenced on this big cinematic family tree. For example, how did German Expressionism shape American film noir? What's the difference between Westerns, Spaghetti Westerns, and Brazilian Nordesterns? We'll examine the economic and socio-political forces that birthed categories like black exploitation, and we'll spotlight visionary films and directors key to the evolution of different styles. So join me as we explore the complex forces that shape film's evolution and appreciate the diverse creativity possible in its relatively brief history. Let Cinemascope be your guide to understanding this art form we cherish how its genres blend, bounce off each other, and advance a rich tapestry of storytelling innovation. Together, we'll gain a deeper appreciation for this wondrous, shape-shifting medium. Our journey begins soon. Be part of this adventure by subscribing to CinemaScope today. I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Andy Nelson. Welcome to The Next Reel. When the movie ends, our conversation begins. In just a matter of seconds, you're going to hear a classic episode of this show from back in the day when we called ourselves Movies We Like. It took us a while to settle into the show's format, so you'll notice some differences as you listen to these episodes. For instance, it takes us a bit of time to actually get into the conversation about the movie. Things like that. But we're still proud of the conversations about the movies themselves, and we think they're worth keeping in the library. So enjoy these episodes from our back catalog. And you can become part of our Discord community, learn more about the show, and find out how you can become a supporting member at thenextreel.com. So thank you, everybody, for downloading and listening to The Next Reel. We appreciate your time and attention, and we hope you enjoy the show. Dr. Pete, (laughs) of what I am only afraid to guess at. You can't say that because you're the one who gave me that nickname am i really yes wow doc pete that's how that happened that's how it happened everywhere because of my love of homeopathic uh medicinals (laughs) in college and you made fun of me furiously until you got a little cold and then who would come downstairs for the acylococcinum huh i i need i need a tincture you the you came to doc pete for the tincture (laughs) and that stuck and now i've been doc for 20 years because of Uh you and you forgot it it was repressed i repressed it 
<laughs> I need to ask you, this has been a week of me furiously trying to get your attention. Has it? You've got it now. Well, yeah. Uh, so there was the, there was, first of all, there was the, um, uh, what was the URL that I made so much fun of you for? That you made so much fun of me for? I, it's, uh, <laughs> it's, I can't remember now. It's, uh, <laughs> it was, I am, <laughs> I'm hurt by that. <laughs> It's uh, I, gosh, I, I really am dry. I'll tell you what it was. It was I find your lack of faith.com. And <laughs> there you go. I think you should. I'm surprised that you have never actually clicked on it. <laughs> you should probably click on it. Why did you buy it? I don't know. <laughs> as far as nobody, as far as you know, it got bought. <laughs> <laughs> so that happened. Oh. If you ever need to find Andy, <laughs> just remember, I find your lack of faith dot com is Andy, and you'll wow. never forget. And I've updated that everywhere. Your little Twitter button on your profile at rashpixel dot tv. It's I find your lack of faith dot com. I'm trying to build up some some uh, backlink SEO love for you. I want you. <laughs> well, gonna, that's how I'm gonna get it. I'm gonna I'm gonna go, I'm gonna Google bomb the hell out of you. With that oh. URL, <laughs> <laughs> and then and then I don't know I don't even know how it actually started, but what the our little <laughs> Photoshop Photoshop <laughs> extravaganza today of uh, you just uh, you started going a little crazy well, there, didn't you? I don't know. I felt pretty good. I you know I was just <laughs> I was just monkeying around with the first one, which was yep. I, I did I started putting Andy's face on on movie trailers or movie posters that just started coming by and so, because Andy has the he has such a great like serious I am a professional of industry uh <laughs> smile and then what happens is you put it you you replace uh his face you put his face on leatherface <laughs> and all of a sudden it's made goofy like <laughs> That's right. There's really nothing scary there's about nothing, that anymore. There's no more captain of industry. There's no more I'm a professional. It's just goofy Andy's face on Texas face. <laughs> and then I thought, well, that's uh, okay. Well, you could, you know, you could do that. I did, it was not a very good job. Like, I just didn't even really think much about it. I just literally slapped it in there, erased around it, and, and posted it. Then I thought, I could do better. Like, <laughs> I could do better. We could find a better angle. We could do that. And so then... I found Iron Andy, <laughs> and I was very happy with this one. I got the glasses just right, and man, look at that hair in the wind. He's, just, got, a, he's got good hair. I, got, I, need, I need that hairline. Iron, Iron Andy has good <laughs> hair and still awesome, goofy smile on Iron Man. It makes me so happy, and that's when, it, that's when the tussle started. <laughs> and then you came back. You had to hit back, and you hit back, I have to say, with brilliance i was i was moved i was really moved by this you one. changed your facebook profile after i was all. moved that much i was and i have dealt with the comments and uh the hair, <laughs> the hair. 
<laughs> it's so funny and i this is what was my post like when you're it's, so this is the home alone um this was home, home alone, alone two, two right it's home alone two yeah. and andy put my face on home alone two and i happen to have kind of a goofy uh no, i am not a captain of industry promotional picture and he had to use that and it it is so weird because what is going on behind the newspaper? Because the torso <laughs> is like hidden, and there has to be just a crazy Mister Fantastic rubber torso in order to tie <laughs> that giant noggin to the body. <laughs> oh, it's a beautiful thing. <laughs> it was really good. And Those little tiny hands. It's like <laughs> that's so good. And then, and this is not even me being being. It's just going a little bit serious. I went with uh, with Argo for my next play because your. I know you loved that movie so much, and your face really was a perfect replacement for for Ben Affleck. <laughs> I just needed a little more uh, uh, shag, but <laughs> yeah, a little little bit more. Uh, but but it really ended up perfect. And then your your last play, I think, was inspired. <laughs> putting my face on the silence of the lambs that was inspired and see so you're holding the death's head mom. i know <laughs> uh, good times that was so good well it's i'm very excited about my my play for tomorrow i gotta pace myself because uh because this could get out of hand i have a folder here on my desktop of of all of the uh all the posters and I can't wait to to get, but the one the one I have that I've highlighted here, I'm pretty excited about. Uh, it's fantastic. So. <laughs> I just I need more expressions of yours, or I'm going to have to find more posters where your hand is on your mouth and it'll work. <laughs> Home Alone was a was an epic find, but it might have been low hanging fruit for that photo. <laughs> oh yeah, uh, it's brilliant. Uh, so we have other news, don't we? Uh, so, oh, uh, so if you need to find Andy, make sure you go to ifindyourlackoffaith.com <laughs> and, uh, where else would you like people to go? Is that good enough, really? <laughs> or, or Facebook. They can find me at Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> Not at I like, I, whatever it's... I can't wait to, I'm going to have to be doing some more wonderful things with that URL for you. Uh, you can find me at Pete Wright or uh, uh, facebook.com slash Pete Wright or of course on the Movies We Like page on Facebook if you want to see the uh, our epic Movies We Like poster battle. And we, it, we invite you, I on behalf of Andy, invite <laughs> you together, we invite you to, to partake. If you think of a great poster and you have some uh, Photoshop skills that are at or even uh, dare I say better than ours. Uh, <laughs> please go to go to town. We'd love to see what you come up with. We're pretty excited. <laughs> we definitely are. We definitely are. Um, and uh, let's see. Uh, so that's that. We've we've made some changes to the website. We st we're we're still not uh, n not in entirely thrilled with uh, the URL itself. But if you just go to rashpixel.tv, uh, you will find. Uh, the movies we like is just just dedicated to all the movies we like stuff we do. And uh, so you can catch uh, the movies we like, the regular show. You can jump over to the film board page where you'll see all the past uh, film board uh, uh, video, uh, Google Plus Hangouts we've done. Uh, and, um, you know, that will continue to grow uh, as we move more stuff into it. So uh, make sure you bookmark that. I've also, you know, I was in such transient state. For so long that I've, uh, you know, we never had comments turned on. Now I've, I've turned on comments on every post. So you can, you can click on and leave a comment. You can share it. We appreciate it if you share it. And the other thing we've done, uh, and uh, this, I'm always torn on this stuff, is, is trying to figure out a way to help 
the site earn a few bucks to pay for hosting. And so I hate advertising. I really do. I hate putting advertising on the sites. I really hate that. But what we have done, and you tell me, Andy, if you think this mm. is overkill. So I put in Amazon links on every post to the Blu-ray of the movie. If it's available to the the whatever our prime choice Blu-ray version of the movie that we're talking about is right in the post, right? Right. That, right. So if you're looking at uh, the Descent from last week, you will see the Descent original uncut Blu-ray with a buy now link for Amazon. It's ten bucks. If you if you haven't seen the movie or you want to add it to your collection, you can jump to it right on Amazon right there. And uh, uh, so we we put that up there for for every movie that we're doing uh, in order to help uh, just sort of offset the costs of the just hosting and the time that we put in on this uh, on on the site and doing the show and we we hope that if you uh, would like to support us and just can't think of another way to do it that you would consider clicking that buy now uh, button uh, and so you will see some other movie related uh, type shopping things kind of pop up we are uh, you know we'll be putting some fandango links in for the for the new release movies that we do um, and you'll see you know these Amazon links uh, pop up Netflix is likely coming soon so for for any of our streaming films so we just encourage you to help us out if you if you uh, have a wild hair to, to you know help us out and, and uh, buy your movies on on Amazon through us that would be great rashpixel.tv did I miss anything yeah, I think you got is it. Is that okay? Does that feel? I mean, what does that feel? How does that feel to you when you look at it and you see that Amazon link? Are you horribly offended? No, I see those all over the place, so it doesn't offend me at all. All right. To me, it makes it easy. It's like, oh, you know, it's such a it's such a click here buy now culture, I guess. So it's like, oh yeah, I'll buy that click. Well, that's that's certainly the hope, and I I don't know. I love I love me some Amazon. I love me yeah. some Amazon Prime. I'll tell you that. So, definitely do. Uh, okay. Um, what other announcements? I don't think we have any other announcements per se. And so, trailers wanna, of the week. Yeah, let's talk we some go? trailers. Okay. First of all, this one. This one was a uh, a recommendation from uh, the goodly Steve Sarmento on, on our Facebook page, uh, who pointed us brilliantly to the <laughs> Hansel and Gretel Red Band trailer. After our chat last week about Red Band trailers. Oh. It was so good. I had made fun of this movie. I believe I was on, I'm on the record as saying, I cannot take Hansel or Gretel screamed in an action context seriously. I think I believe I said something like that. And I was not ready to take this series. I felt bad about it. Jeremy Renner. I don't know. I was not really looking forward to this. Then Red Band rescued this trailer. <laughs> it really did. It truly made this look like just an over-the-top goofball action movie. And, uh, yeah, it actually looks like it'll be fun to watch now. It looks really fun. What would you compare this to? Is there anything you could think of that you would compare it to? I was trying to think of, like, uh, Kick-Ass or uh, just in yeah, sort of, in sort of the go tone. in that vein where it's, it's kind of over-the-top violent action that's just so gory. It's just goofball but fun. It's it's great. I yeah. love. I'm very much looking forward to this. So you can find the link in the show notes on the website. And the next one is uh, one I know you love talking about. Is uh, Jack Reacher the new Jack Reacher trailer? There you go. Let me tell you what. I, why I'm excited. This is going to be a fun one. It's it's going to be a fun movie. You know, Tom Cruise. A lot of people bag on him. I think he's a very talented actor, and 
he um, generally is uh, doing a really good job in whatever role he plays, even if it's not the best movie. He's always good, I think. Um, and I think that he he looks great in this, and I think it's going to be a uh, really fun action movie. You know, you've got um, him leading the charge as kind of this, you know, kind of good, kind of bad, former government guy who kind of takes cleans up messes or whatever. Um, and I think, you know, it's an interesting looking role for him kind of along the collateral line, but also a little more, um, not quite so, uh, bad guy. And then Christopher McQuarrie's directing it, who, um, I think is great. And then, um, you know, you've got, uh, Rosamund Pike, Richard Jenkins, uh, Robert Duvall and, uh, playing a creepy bad guy. You've got Werner Herzog, the director. So, uh, very interesting a very interesting looking film and I'm quite excited to see it. I I am also very excited to see it when he turns around and says, you know, what to the guy he says, what's a what's an army cop do most of the days? He said, "Oh, same thing you do with one difference. Every suspect is a trained killer." <laughs> that was it. You had me a trained killer. I'm in it. That's right. I was very excited to see that. Uh so I'm I'm very much looking forward to this uh, movie. I like seeing these sort of counter characters and uh, the kind of anti-hero character when he turns around and says, you think I'm a hero? I'm no hero. The lawyer's yours uh, during the uh, presumed ransom call mm -hmm. uh, and hangs up. That, that was a nice uh, that was a nice play. Yeah. Uh, so, and, I, yeah, it's going to be good. And, you know, um, it's going to fit in. Uh, it won't won't fit into our current series but one of these days it potentially could fit into our series of of movies with car chases you know he's driving around in a car there with car chase so you never know maybe in a future car chase series we'll be throwing jack reacher in totally very much looking forward to that and uh we've got a couple more john dies at the end you just threw this at me today i had not seen it uh what about this one you know don coscarelli is one of those directors who makes really quirky kind of almost like weird supernatural horror films Bubba Hotep I swear is one of the um, funniest just kind of odd horror movies I, I absolutely love that movie uh, Phantasm you know that's that's where he kind yeah. of uh, broke out as, as his um, as his directing and everything and uh, he's just kind of led this bit of really quirky films and now here he comes along with john dies at the end i hadn't heard of this one at all and you know he's got paul giamatti in it and it's he's like these looks like these doofuses who've got this weird drug that it looks that like it, why would you possibly take it because it's a lot that at one point it looks like they actually turn into insects or something but when you take it it you can you kind of become an interdimensional being or something and it just looks weird and quirky, and it looks like he's doing something kind of fun and different. And for that, I'm all in. Yeah. Yeah, I think it looks really, uh, oh, I think it looks really good. I, I, it looks really uh, just sort of like a, it's kind of like big fish for the psychedelic uh, crowd. <laughs> I'm, I'm very That's much That's one way to look at it. It's, it's all about uh, gigantificationism. <laughs> I'm very excited walking about meat it. monsters. Right. <laughs> That's horrifying. <laughs> uh, so that looks really good. And then opening tomorrow, uh, which is uh, the 2nd, November 2nd, The Bay. Yeah, we're a little late coming to the trailer game for this one. The trailer's been out for a while, but, you know, it's a 
it looks like a fun little film, and we I figured you know maybe we should chat about it real quick since it's. Uh, well, it's, sort of it's here and it's upon us. It's, this is it Barry fits, Levinson's, of it, all people, uh, found footage film. And you uh, have a really unhealthy relationship with found footage films. I do. I yep. really enjoy found yep. footage films. I have this, I, I feel like I need to watch all of them. <laughs> I, need to, <laughs> I need to absorb their essence. <laughs> Fantastic. Are you going to, I mean, we, you should start one of those life cams uh, so that you maybe one day could be the subject of a found footage film. Have you ever thought I, about that? That's, that's brilliant. I that's can become my own found footage film. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's, that just sounds sad, actually. When you put it like that, it's like, oh, yeah, that, yeah, you really got to be a, a loser to <laughs> <laughs> be that desperate. Uh, that so. is, that is sad. It's sad. <laughs> Uh, okay, so uh, anyway, I it, it looks uh, kind of creepy. I'm trying to figure out if it fits into my uh, into my zombie uh, uh, fascination. Is that kind of where it's going? I mean, watching the trailer, they all kind of get these little bugs so. in them. Because you got happens? these weird creatures jumping out of fish and stuff, and it. I know, but what are the to fish me doing? it seems more like. Um, it's just like what happened if the flu virus, if the little flu kind of I don't know the not a is flu uh, bacterial. Is that a thing? No, it's not, right? It's like it, bacteria would be... Uh, if it's uh, the flu virus, then it's viral. Yeah. It's vi <laughs> I believe that's how it works. <laughs> you're you're making fun. <laughs> you're mocking me, uh, aren't you're you? are mocking me, aren't you? The, uh, the, the thing is, it's if the little uh, the, the bacteria, if they were the size of cats, mm -hmm. right? That's you're what right. we're talking that's, about. That's what this looks like. That's really what this is. All right. So I, uh, as with all things creepy and crawly, I'm very much looking forward to this one as well. So uh, who knows? This may be the one I hit this weekend. Although I got to tell you, I'm I'm starting to get pretty upset with myself that I still haven't seen Argo. So I think I may I may need to reprioritize my weekend viewing and uh, and catch Argo. There you uh, go this weekend. So I think that's my plan. And finally, we had a request to talk about this whole Disney Lucas thing. Yeah, it's really interesting. Uh, for those of you who haven't heard, Disney bought, uh, or I should say Lucas sold, his whole Star Wars franchise to the Disney company for at the tune of $4.2 billion, something exorbitant and, like that. Uh, yeah, I, mean, I, I and it includes not only Lucasfilm, um, it includes uh, obviously Industrial Light and Magic and Skywalker Sound, all the properties of Lucasfilm. I'm not sure if it includes. Uh, does it, it include uh, Lucas um, Arts? I think it probably includes everything that's related to Lucas. Uh, that's. A, I mean, it's a significant um, uh, acquisition, and you know, I think it's. There was one response that that uh, one uh, blog post that that had the great question, which is, you know, after you're sort of bowled over by by the dollar figure when you think about the franchise mm -hmm. only four billion <laughs> well that's true i i mean <laughs> yeah like, it's you know it's really interesting though it puts disney in a very unique position where they're almost creating this franchise monopoly they've got star wars they've got the muppets they've got marvel and then of course they have everything disney and pixar right like where what's next for them to to chomp down yeah you wonder if next is the operative term or if we should be saying left yeah you yeah. know i mean I, really uh i i don't know have we ever been, it's it's almost like uh you you run into a uh sort of an entertainment uh monopoly if there ever was one um 
when when they own all the good stuff. Yeah. And uh, so uh, the big question is, uh, what do you th- are you worried about? Um, uh, are you worried about what comes next for Star Wars? They're saying that 2015 we will see the next uh, Star Wars film, and there will be more films after that. And so the question for you is, are you worried about what's going to happen with Star Wars, or had you already given up? You know, I I hadn't given up. I was never really expecting any more Star Wars films. Um, but the fact that he's done this, in my head... Truly, I think it can only bode well for Star Wars. I mean, I think that I'm always going to hold the the original three films that were released first, episodes four, five, and six, as kind of their own separate thing. But now that George Lucas has kind of step, stepped away and he's pulled himself, I think he's only going to be like a creative, uh, creative executive or something in the relation to anything else that gets made from Star Wars. But I mean, it puts... Any future Star Wars film, um, basically at the hands of all sorts of amazing directors who could potentially come down the pike and make a really interesting Star Wars film. I don't, you know, I I kind of went back and forth on this, but I'm like, you know, it actually might be good for the franchise to not have George Lucas forcing his horrible scripts on us. There is, yes, okay. I, I'm I'm back and forth on it too, I, and and I think my my issue is this, and I think I, I'm reading a passage here from from Marco Arment at at Marco.org. Um, he quotes uh, Kathleen Kennedy will serve as the brand manager, and this is from the original announcement uh, from Disney. Kathleen Kennedy will serve as the original brand manager for Star Wars, working directly with Disney's global lines of business to build, further integrate, and maximize the value of this global franchise. And Marco's comment is, now that's what fans want to hear. A major, well-loved, culturally significant creative work was sold to global lines of business so they can maximize its value. Uh, (laughs) uh, Translation, they're going to beat Star Wars to death even more than George Lucas did, extracting every possible penny out of it until there's no money more, no more money to be made. And that's probably a long way off. Disney's plans to further integrate this global franchise will make Lucas look conservative in retrospect. And that's the, that I think is the fear, right? I mean, if we're going to be on the fear side, that's, that's the fear. Uh, Still, Disney and Marvel just gave us, um, you know, the Avengers. Yeah. And and that's what I would point out to anybody who feels that, I mean, yes, it's going to be over commercialized and it's going to be just all over and in your face. It already was to a certain extent, but you're right. Look at what they just did with the, um, the Avengers series and those films leading up to the Avengers film. Uh, you know, I think it was a very smart group of people who put that together. And I think with the name Star Wars, it's going to be another very smart group of people planning that out. I think so too. And you, you know, you look at what, um, you look at what Pixar has delivered in Wreck-It Ralph. What I'm hearing is that it ends up with a, a beautifully, uh, executed twist. And it seems like a really fun movie for kids. And, well, you know, it's not a Pixar film. It's just a Walt Disney. It's just a Walt film. Disney. That's right. But, uh, uh, but it's, you know, who, who knows? I mean, uh, they, what they have is a lot of properties and in collecting properties, they have undoubtedly collected a lot of really good people so that's i think where we're gonna fall is that um lucas may not have been the best custodian for uh star wars anyway and this you know whether or not disney is going and kathleen kennedy is going uh, you know are, are the right choice 
at least it's it's good to get some new life into it if they're gonna you know go this way. I'm, I'm I'll tell you I would love to see more Star Wars. This was back to our conversation on exploring other universes or, or exploring more stories in a in the same universe. Uh, right. You know, from weeks and weeks ago. I love that, and I would love to see more stories out of the Star Wars universe and and uh, more great characters and and you know, uh, if if this gets us moving in that direction, so much the better. Yeah, I can't believe I'm actually happy about this. <laughs> I've I've turned around. I was shocked, man. What a crazy news day. Yeah, I know. I my jaw dropped too when I saw that. Okay, so we got a we got a movie to talk about. Yes, yes, we should talk we're, about a movie tonight. We're finished with uh, we're finished with Halloween. <laughs> it's been a heavy it's been a heavy uh, uh, front end. So yeah, let's Ooh. talk about a movie now. Uh, so we are finished with Halloween. We're excited to be in November. Happy November, and we're kicking off our great car chase series. Absolutely, and we're starting with the granddaddy of them all, 1968's Bullet. This I can't remember. Was this? Did you bring this one to the? table or was this just the presumed we have to start with bullet i think we just presumed that this had to be on the list (laughs) i don't think there was really any question that we wouldn't have this on our car chase list yeah i mean i this is uh this film is due to the uh 10 minute and what 10 minute 52 second uh car chase through the city of san francisco in the in the third act uh this Movie. Actually, it's right in the middle of the film. It's right in the middle. I thought it was kind of toward the end, right at the beginning of the film. Well, maybe. Anyway, it's ten minutes long through the city of San Francisco, and it is it really defined what a, a car chase is is all about. And and in fact, that scene uh, is uh, arguably what earned Frank Keller the Oscar for editing this film in '68. Right. Because the rest of the movie is kind of, you know, it's a well-edited film. But this scene sets it apart. Yes? The, right. This scene is what really makes it stand out. The fact that it's it's cut so well. It's cut fluidly. It's always interesting. Even though the geography, for anyone who's ever been in San Francisco, it's it's completely nonsensical. Nothing connects. Which, you know, that usually happens in any big chase scene. But it it's fine. I mean, yes, we see the same green vw bug passed by like (laughs) four or five times but you can look past that because the way that it's cut together and the excitement of going down the hills of san francisco and and around the turns and just it's it's just a fantastic car chase and very smartly done where the beginning of the chase is all uh you've kind of got the score just film that you know Don Ellis's kind of uh, oh sorry um, Lalo Schifrin's short score playing um, underneath at the beginning and then while they're just it's it's more of a you know one car following the other sort of scene and then all of a sudden when that car takes off and just rips around the corner all the music drops away and all you hear for the whole 10 minutes and 53 seconds is just the car chase and it's it's just it's really engrossing it's uh, really pulls you in and it's a fantastic uh scene to watch it is fantastic and i love the i i uh, as you say that it is that first half, <laughs> i don't know is it is it a full half it's it's really 3 minutes 3 3 and a half minutes maybe uh before the uh the uh bad guys uh, actually put their seatbelt on. Right, right. Right? 
that's your sign that everything just got real. That's right. Uh, but it is it is the the strangest, most exciting sequence of people following the laws of the road. Yeah. Uh, and they make that transition into, uh, you know, into the chase really beautifully and um uh, you know i think the other piece that i like so much about it is that it was it is so brilliantly practical uh you know in in so far as you can feel the speeds that they were that they were hitting in this chase you can feel the fact that they were in that 80 to 100 miles an hour in in the city of san francisco and and um uh you know you can you, you can just you can feel the vibration of that mustang and of that charger and uh it's just it takes me back man well and the other thing about it is this is a a time when a lot of films that had been showing people driving were shot with a rear screen projection where yes. you know the camera team had gone out ahead of time and basically f- attached the camera to a car like the front end or the back end depending on which view you wanted to see and they just filmed the filmed driving and then they would put they would essentially it's like showing a movie they would project it from behind the uh the actors onto a big screen and then in a studio you would just have a a stationary car sitting there safely off of the streets but the camera was filming them and then behind them you had this screen playing this this road as things were driving on it and it looked like this car was actually driving that's how a lot of driving scenes had been done leading up to this now there had been you know there James Bond and all those out there but nothing really to the extent of this where you had real stuntmen and even your lead actor Steve McQueen in the Mustang racing it around at these high speeds. Now, he wasn't in every single shot, um, but he was in as many shots as they would let him, which was an awful lot of shots where he was driving. I mean, it was Steve McQueen driving <laughs> some of these yeah. ridiculous speeds. And it's it's amazing when you get that reality in there. It just lends that much more credence to it, and it just makes it that much more exciting. And that they were able to do it with only two of the uh, of the Mustangs. <laughs> like, they did the whole sequence without destroying... <laughs> more yeah. cars than that uh is is really um it's fantastic now the cars the um the mustangs uh the were 68 390 v8 ford mustang fastbacks uh that was the steve mcqueen good guy car uh in a lovely forest green and then um uh, the bad guys were driving the 68 uh 440 magnum v8 powered dodge charger yep. which is uh really i mean it's uh uh, it's sort of no contest. The Darts Charger went on two years later to become the General Lee, uh, and uh, or that model year became the General Lee uh, mm-hmm. in Dukes of Hazard, and that is how we bring it all uh, back to me. Because at Universal Studios one year, I sat in that car. it's that good uh and and, you know one of the interesting quotes was uh that that uh, that those chargers are significantly faster than the mustang and they had to keep uh they had to keep pulling it back uh off the accelerator because they would so easily outrun the mustang in the car chase that it made it no fun (laughs) (laughs) oh that's funny that is funny but it is it is a fantastic car chase, and it's it just lends. You know, we've talked about the Bourne, uh, the Jason Bourne series before, and they mm-hmm. always have car chases in those films. And we've talked about how great 
the the real stunt work is in those films and all of that really harkens back to this which is really kind of the grandfather of of this amazing stunt work and the the team of people involved in putting this together and and getting this this uh car chase to work the way they did i mean it's it's really fantastic and it is a lot of fun to watch it is a lot of fun to watch. It is paced brilliantly well. The setting is fantastic. They went to, to to great lengths to really make you feel like you're a part of this chase. Whether you are a bystander standing on the on the the corner of these familiar streets in San Francisco, watching these cars go by, I think one of the most interesting pieces of of just how they framed it, how they shot it, was just letting you. Even as these cars are blazing by, they really let you become a part of it. They leave the uh, they leave the wide shots wide and still enough to really feel like you can see the you can take in the, all of the action and then suddenly you're inside the car moving at 85 miles through, miles an hour down these crazy hills uh so the the you know for me the way they paced the uh you know the wide shots to the inside shots to the uh, to the drivers uh you know the close up on the on Steve McQueen and the and the assassins i i think they are they paced it so brilliantly well that you really feel like you're a part of it and that's very much what you get you know, I think what that, as you say, that lineage, uh, you know, all the way to the Bourne series, some of the other movies we're going to be talking about later this month, that's where the, where they excel is giving you the time to breathe into the sequence. And, and you know, this, I think that's one of the things that really sets this movie apart, even from the Bond movies, which which end up being so much more gadget driven and, and up to this point, rear screen projection, mm-hmm. um, you know. They don't want to lose the Austin Martin, I guess. So, anyway, right, it was right. it, it it was a fantastic uh, keystone piece of this film. Yeah, and and just to uh, to give him a shout out, Bill Hickman was the uh, the stunt coordinator on this film and the the stunt driver, and actually he plays the um, the bad guy driving the Charger. Right, that's him. Um, the the driving glasses. in the film here, and then. He he'll come up in our series later because he actually doubled for um, uh, one of the drivers in one of our in our next film, and then he also uh, he just continues along this line of a lot of great '70s car chase films. So Bill Hickman, really fantastic uh, uh, stunt driver and uh, stunt coordinator, putting all this together. Now, was, who was it? Was it Bill Hickman or the other? Um... Uh, who also lays down the motorcycle? Does the motorcycle stunt work in this same sequence? That was not Bill Hickman doing the. Uh, was that Bud Eakins? Oh, may have, may have been Bud Eakins, Bud Eakins who did that. So at that at that final sequence, the other thing we should we should make a note that I, I believe they're talking about the the explosion at the at the gas station refinery uh, that the the charger runs into. Right. Um, at the end, it turns out I. And do you know more about this? That it uh, looks like a dummy car tripped one of the explosive wires and caused the explosion to 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 blow up early. Uh, but right. So you kind of see it. You can, if you watch real close when the explosion goes off, you can see the car actually come out the other side. Yeah. Of the uh, of of the gas station, and only because he he conveniently, uh, when uh, Peter Yates, the director, was out shooting, he did a shot just basically zooming into the fire real fast. And and again, the magic of editing, he was able to cut that in. And really kind of it lent really well to that that moment in the action scene. And so he was able to essentially cover up the uh, the botched uh, bit there. Brilliant. And it, yeah. I'm you know, I'm watching it kind of frame by frame here. It looks really good. I mean, it, it looks uh, it looks really good. 
Yeah. Uh, Fantastic. So what what do we think of the rest of the movie? You know, I like it. It's not it's it's uh Let me wait, no let me ask Hamlet. it a different way. Let me ask it a different way. <laughs> but it's a fun movie and I actually when you put it in context of the times, it's actually I think more interesting of a film. It's cuz it's this is the late 60s when this was made and people initially were pretty skeptical about um, Steve McQueen playing a cop and, and taking a role of a cop because at the time, especially in San Francisco, people were really anti-police and they really um, felt that this was going to be a big misstep for McQueen to play a cop and everyone was going to start hating him because he was siding with the law. Um, and But they took on this role of this reality of uh, Steve McQueen, along with Peter Yates, the director and the writers of the book and everything. And then the script subsequently, um, wanted to just make it as, as real as possible. And they, they didn't want to make the cops look like they were just like this corporate power crushing people. They didn't want to, to tell a story about, you know, the, the, the problems people were having with the cops. They just wanted to really make a cop look like a regular guy who was had his own issues that he had to deal with and was just trying to solve a crime. And I think they really succeeded in doing that. And because of this film, I think it, it may have changed some uh, mentality of some people. And uh, it, it, um, it, it just it, it made people be able to identify with, with cops a little bit more. And I, it's, I think it was a very smart play where it didn't feel like, you know, your 50s dragnet police procedural. And it actually felt like, real people in a real story. I think that's true. And I, I, uh, I, I think almost, well, I don't know, as, as I guess, in addition to this discussion of how it portrays the police, just how it portrays uh, kind of people. And uh, that credit really goes back to, um, um, uh, to Alan Trussman and uh, Henry or Harry Kleiner, I think the dialogue in this film is written uh, in a way that is it, it kind of takes me back to uh, the parallax view. Um, mm -hmm. It's that it's that sort of sparseness of um, of dialogue in this film that um, really allows you to get the movie in the white space. Yeah, and uh, I think that builds a much more sort of human connection uh, with these characters as you you watch them dealing with the the relationships and the subtext, particularly in these conversations of the you know in the police between the lieutenants and the and the um, you know the the uh, outside agents, uh, um, you know the way they speak to one another and the way you can sort of not not even just hear but feel the politicking that's going on, um, you, you know uh, in. in in, uh, in the character of, of Agent uh, Chalmers, Robert Vaughn, uh, you know what we what we see is something that that seems so uh, palpably um, uh, relatable to these relationships that we feel like you know we're in touch with today. I think they they did a really exceptional job in in what otherwise is kind of a slow moving action movie. And and a little confusing too, mm -hmm. you know. It's it's uh, the whole idea of the kind of I guess you could say the you know almost identical switcheroo. Yes. Um, where you think that this guy was killed, and then you find out later in the film that oh, he really wasn't. It was just somebody who really looked like him, and uh, was just they were using him as an excuse to kind of help this guy escape the country. Um, it's it's almost less important 
of to the story than everything going on with Bullet and his life, right? Yeah. And and that for that it's interesting because it it's almost as if this whole case is a MacGuffin just to let us watch Bullet in action. Yeah, and that's probably <laughs> that's probably pretty accurate, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah. this was this was it right is. in the middle of Steve McQueen's career and or you know his his film career, and uh, you know he's uh, what was he just coming off of? Um, he was just coming off of uh, the Great Escape was years prior. Um, Thomas Crown Affair was the same year. Um, Nevada yeah, he Smith, just, Sand he just Pebbles. came off of. Um, I, I, yeah, I think it was the Thomas Crown Affair. Yeah, and and so, but but no, I, no, I think that was after this, wasn't it? I don't know. They were both sixty-eight. Yeah, Thomas Crown Affair was released uh, June nineteenth, sixty-eight, and uh, Bullet was released uh, October seventeenth. So I guess Thomas Crown Affair was just before it. So they're coming right off of it, and I think this is probably just a um, at the point in his career where people just like watching Steve McQueen move. Yeah, you know, and you know, also this was him trying to do something new with him with his career. I think he had been wanting to kind of make a change and do some new stuff. And this was, I believe, one of the first films that he produced through his own company, Solar Productions. And um, I'm not sure how many films um, he and his producing partner Robert uh, Relier actually did together. But um, yeah, this was a uh, um, something that he really believed in he um he is actually the one who wanted peter yates to come on and direct it peter yates was a british director who um was not it's kind of i i think a lot of people would have he wouldn't have been the person that they would have had in mind to direct this but mcqueen had seen a film that that yates had done before this called robbery which is a, about the great train robbery and he had a car chase in that and he saw the car chase and saw what he did with it. And from that, he was convinced that this guy would be the one to, to make this film and very smartly. So, um, he convinced everybody else. Peter Yates, uh, was happy to come over and do it. And, you know, it did well for his career too. I mean, he ended up uh, making some fantastic films after bullet friends of Eddie Coyle, I think is just a, an amazing film, um, breaking away crawl. And, uh, you know, he's just, it, did a lot of great films after Bullet, but I think Bullet's probably what he's best remembered for because of the uh, the car chase. Let's talk about one of the really sort of pivotal characters in this film, um, uh, which who is uh, obviously uh, Robert Duvall. It's, <laughs> I, yeah. I, <laughs> okay, come on, man. That was a joke. That was like a yeah. setup. This is I was a... I was like, wow, really? Pivotal? <laughs> no, but it is. It was always fun seeing Robert Duvall pop up and things. Do you know and seeing why? him look so young, yet also somehow still old. That is so true. It's like he got to this point and then just, I don't know if he just, he's not so much aging as he is desaturating. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, he, he really is. I mean, he's, he's been bald for a very, very long just time. Just watching him take the money, you know, when he just looks at... He takes the money from Steve McQueen. He's like, all right. And he slaps the vinyl of the cab. And you just think, <laughs> God, that's a Robert Duvall vinyl cab slap. Yep. I'd know that vinyl cab slap anywhere. <laughs> uh, it's fantastic. Uh, let's see. Who else uh, stuck out to you um, uh, in this film? Uh, well, no Robert Vaughn, I think, is yep. great as Chalmers. 
and he just has he's a great foil uh political foil to uh to Steve McQueen in this as opposed to the the actual um criminal foil that he's pursuing um Robert Vaughn just has a, a great face and he's just been in so many great things and he's one of those people who actually he ended up in quite a number of films with McQueen but I I mean he has been around forever he's I don't know how old he is now I think he's he's 80 I mean he was in basketball oh, of all things goodness. I mean, he's been around and he's still working wow I'm not saying basketball was good. I'm just saying he's been around. <laughs> uh, you know, the other one that stands out for me is uh, only, I, I think, out of sort of sentimentality is Norman Fell. Yeah. Uh, who ends up, you know, I don't, I, I don't know. I think we know Norman Fell as, you know, Mr. Roper. Um, but, uh, boy, that, talk about a guy who's been around, uh, started making started on on screen in in 1954 um and uh he's just a i mean he was in chud too be bud the chud <laughs> uh that was his basketball uh that's mr a, roper and then this right. movie you know he's been just uh, on just about everything you look at his as, as just a uh, stunningly prolific tv actor he has been in just about everything <laughs> it seems like yeah. throughout the 60s and 70s and um you know this movie he plays kind of a well i don't i don't know um I, he's kind of a brooding kind of uh you, you want to say he'd fit the nemesis role but he's just kind of a puppet yeah and uh again you you look at him as in a kind of a political part of the political adversary the systemic adversary to steve mcqueen's character and uh, and it's it's fun to see him wander around on stage um so yeah, he's he's always great. Um, Don Gordon uh, as Del Getty, uh, mm -hmm. Bullet's partner, uh, is great. He's another one of those faces that's just been around forever, and um, he was actually in Diagnosis Murder. Oh, so I that, have that one time connection. with you, <laughs> <laughs> and and of course the lovely Jacqueline Bissett, who just looks incredibly gorgeous in this, and uh, is is a nice uh, respite from. A lot of the police work going on and uh, I think she is her role in this is one that does bring some of that humanity back to bullet and and uh, it's it's nice having her in this and it's nice that they included that it's kind of that thankless wife or girlfriend role that you get in a lot of cop films but there's something about what she brings to it that I just a lot of honesty particularly the scene where she walks into the crime scene and sees a uh, bullet looking at the dead body and just her reaction and everything I, I really like that yeah, I thought so too. Um, you know, I, I think there's a there's a funny the way the film ends. You know, when he walks in on her sleeping, mm -hmm. uh, and I, I think that it, it's you know I don't want I don't want <laughs> to sort of minimize it to say she sleeps well, uh, <laughs> but but I think that uh, you know just her place in this film is kind of uh, uh, encapsulated in in you know that that part of the relationship where he opens the door and we get this kind of lingering. Um, uh, this lingering shot of of him looking at her, kind of under his arm, uh, and it's a it's just really a, a like you say it's a reset after kind of a depressing uh, yeah. out for Bullet. It's 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 nice. It's nice yeah. that she's in it. So yeah. 
Uh, Who else? You know, it's funny. It wasn't until this most recent viewing, and I, I feel really stupid for for this, but for some reason, I've always managed to convince myself that um, that Ross, the guy who gets shot at the beginning, um, that you know, while the police are protecting him. He gets shot and then ends up dying in the hospital. I've always somehow convinced myself that he had a twin brother and they killed the brother as opposed to him. And I, I only, I must have just really been paying attention this time. And I caught that it was a completely different guy, this Rennick guy. <laughs> and I was just like, gosh, but they use the same actor. And then it, sure enough, in the credits, no, they didn't. I've just been <laughs> so clueless every time I've watched this that it is actually two guys. They're just so far apart in the movie that I've always managed to convince myself that it was the same actor. But but uh, Pat Ranella plays Ross, and Felice Orlandi plays uh, plays uh, Rennick. So, um, so kudos to them for looking so similar. <laughs> yes. Well, and, and okay, so the uh, Pat Ranella, and then that's John Ross, right? Uh, and then uh, the the great Vic Tabak. Mm as pete ross right the other as ross mel. uh as, pete, as mel, quote, mel ross pete mel ross sharples <laughs> uh who is another one that's uh, sort of that's i like these old movies yeah uh he's uh, pulling these guys out uh okay so the i who the the uh we've talked about peter yates I think William Fraker, we need to talk yeah. about him. He was the the uh, DP who shot this film. Uh, a brilliant DP. You know, he did Rosemary's Baby the same year. He did uh, Looking for Mr. Goodbar. He did Heaven Can Wait, 1941, War Games, Tombstone. He's been around for a very long time, did a lot of great films. And this is something that I we kind of brought up in our talk in uh, when we were talking about... Uh, um, the African Queen, how complicated it was back then filming movies because the size of the cameras and everything mm -hmm. else. Yes, for the car chase stuff, they used a lot of, of smaller cameras, but they still have these big, massive cameras for a lot of the other stuff. Even though they were out on location, they were still using some pretty big cameras. And also, the, the film speed itself wasn't as fast, which means that it took more light to actually capture the image on the film. And you have scenes where they're shooting at night at the airport. William Fraker really knew how to light things just right so that he could still capture the image and get what you wanted without it either being blown out or being too dark. So you kind of forget about things like that when you go back and you watch films from, from this period. And when you look at Bullet and you look at what William Fraker was actually accomplishing in 1968, I mean, he really was pushing the limits with what you could do with the film at the time. And uh, you take that into account and you realize that he really was pushing the limits and breaking new ground back then. Yeah, you know, that's fascinating, although they didn't have to worry about it falling into the water. Uh, but when you think about putting these jamming these cameras inside these tiny cars and driving them that fast... Yeah. Uh, that's well, that's really why I think point. I think they were using some uh, some smaller cameras, and I I don't know if they're sixteen millimeter. I, I doubt it, but they definitely had some smaller cameras that were probably um, uh, just easier to use in the cars. But yeah, right. even then, it's not like you were they were using little handheld cameras or anything. Right. Right. 
No, that's a that's a really good point. And I think that the, um, you know, we've talked a little bit about the continuity issues in terms of the the cinematography, but in terms of the general tone and of the um, uh, of the, and continuity of the tone of the film, uh, it is it's quite good looking. Yeah. And, you, you know, that whole airport scene, everybody talks about the car chase film, this. But I, I tell you, that airport's airport chase at the end of the film is a, just an absolutely fantastic airport chase and it's just another on foot chase that we capture there with i mean airplanes going right over bullet as he's laying underneath yeah. them i mean just crazy stuff and it's a great um precursor to what michael mann did in heat with the end of that film yeah that's I, a, I, I think it's a stellar sequence and it doesn't it often is overshadowed and I would say unfairly by the car chase. That is, that's a great point. And I think it is, uh, it's overshadowed by the car chase. It's also overshadowed by the confusion that leads up to it. Right. <laughs> that's true. You, you've already kind of alluded to it. By the time you get to the end, uh, of this movie, you've, you've gone through the, um, you know, the, you've gone through the, the great pain of the MacGuffin and you're just trying to get through the resolution. And it's, it's, um, uh, it's a little bit challenging. I think by that time you're, you're just sort of ready. You're kind of ready to be finished. Yep. Uh, if you're not really paying attention to it, you you lose the fact that it is a beautiful scene, and it's like a ballet. Those you you think, oh gosh, how scary could that possibly be? Just running around these giant lumbering planes, like I could dodge those wheels, but but it actually ends up being kind of a nail biter. Um, you know, especially the way they use light and dark from from going to bullet running directly into one of these air, airline uh, kind of spotlights, wing lights, uh, where you you know you go from being completely blinded to uh, you know, being completely blind as he's running through the the field parallel to the the runway, uh, trying not to get shot, uh, and and so the way I think they use light and dark in that scene is is um, is great. Yeah, it you, really and again, is, it feels really like you're fantastic. They're they're putting you in the shoes of Bullet, and you can you can really feel what he's going through. I think they execute that really well. It's um. It is it is a nice finish to the film. It's it really does build it well and it you're right. It does kind of just cut off the MacGuffin there. You don't have to worry about it anymore and and then the film ends. And it 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 works really well. Yeah. Uh in terms of the writers uh of this one, there's an interesting hodgepodge of of movies that uh Harry Kleiner and and Trustman have have done. And it's not one. It's not one that you kind of look at and think, "Gosh, there's a series." There's the. I know that guy. I could tell that guy anywhere. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, Harry uh, Harry Kleiner uh, has uh, Bullet, but he comes into Bullet from uh, a whole bunch of TV, uh, and throughout the fifties and sixties, uh, gosh, Red Skies of Montana. Uh, I don't know. Do you uh, any recognize any uh, of these? Cry tough, ice palace, fever in the blood. It's not until we get through this the years of the '60s and his he's working on television that we see he gets into Fantastic Voyage, Bullet, Le Mans, Judgment, The Trial of Julius and Ethel Rosenberg, Extreme Prejudice, and Red Heat in the '80s yeah. back to back. Well, if you look at the beginning of his career, he actually started in some of the noir stuff like Fallen Angel, The Street with No Name. See, I haven't um, seen any Even of up to House of Bamboo. Those are all some, some great uh, noir films that, um, that he worked on. So, I mean, he definitely has some of that. And I, it looks like he was probably a, just a, a writer for hire with 20th Century Fox, would be my guess. Yeah. 
Uh, I see. I haven't seen Century Fox noir films. I haven't seen any of those movies. So, um, you know, I, I clearly I need to get these on my on my list, uh, you know, and then he gets up to the, you know, my uh, the era where these aren't classics for me, where Extreme Prejudice and, you know, with Nick Nolte and Red Heat, uh, Schwarzenegger, mm-hmm. the governor. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's just an interesting kind of hodgepodge of action movies. And um, then we have uh, uh, Trustman, uh, who actually, uh, I guess there's a, there may be a little bit more of a thread here, but he doesn't have as many credits to his name, uh, Thomas Crown Affair. He doesn't, Affair. but he, yeah, he had just done Thomas Crown Affair. So my guess yeah. is he probably came on board for from a two that picture film deal with working with, uh, yeah. uh, working with uh, McQueen. Uh, yeah, so there's some interesting, uh, interesting stuff going on with these guys. And this is, uh, yeah, interesting movie. So what do we have, uh, in terms of the performance of this movie, it, uh, was well, it one, one quick note, which yeah. I think is an interesting little bit, um, about Steve McQueen before we move on to the performance. Um, he actually worked with to kind of train for his cop character. He actually worked with Dave Toskey the cop who uh, worked with Bill Armstrong, as you may remember, were the two investigators of the Zodiac murder yes. that we talked about when we were talking about Zodiac. That's, uh, yes, indeed. That is a, that's a great connection. And <laughs> that's really funny. And I think it's funny because yeah. Toski, uh, when he's played by Mark Ruffalo in Zodiac, when he's having the conversation with Jake Gyllenhaal, you know, and Jake Gyllenhaal's getting all excited, he's like, hold on there, bullet. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's 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 a great. It's almost like a little nod to the fact that Toski had actually worked with McQueen and and kind of helped prep him for the film. That's so. great. I did not make that connection. That's really great. Yeah. <laughs> That's very funny. Uh, so uh, you know, in in light of that, did did he get the Toski bump in the box office? <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's uh, I. <laughs> this film did pretty well. It did pretty well for itself. It was a, a box office success, critical success. Uh, everybody loved uh, this movie, and uh, you know, it's a, it's rightly so. It was a very fun movie, and it deserved to have uh, have the money um, that it made. It, I show that it had a budget of actually, I don't see the budget. I thought I had it five but, five and a half million. I don't. But I see that it made around forty-two point three million domestically. I I think uh, Wikipedia has it as a five point five million for the budget. Five point five million. All right, on, there you go. That seems pretty office, high, actually. It it kind of does, but you know, I don't know cars. Yeah, right. A lot of cars. <laughs> a lot of uh, car chases. Shooting on location. Shooting on location. We, taking you know, what did they say? Uh, five weeks. Some... What did they, five weeks to shoot the car scene in the city? Did I read that? Uh, I think it was three weeks. I think crazy. it was three weeks. I could be wrong, but uh, somewhere between three and five weeks they took to shoot that scene. Uh, yeah, it's a... Um, uh, that. Yeah, three weeks. Yeah. Filming the chase scene took three weeks. Three weeks. There's three and a half million right there to the city of San Francisco. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. You know, it's funny. Talking about Zodiac again and David Fincher talking about how difficult it was filming in San Francisco... They they had such a hard time getting the city to let them do anything that that is one of the reasons he ended up doing digital recreations of so many of the exterior scenes. And it's funny because when Bullet was made, all of the police, and maybe it was because it was about um, the police 
the present day police, but they were so excited about the fact that this film was being made and it was portraying them in a good light. And they basically bent over backward to do whatever they could to help these guys out. They were closing streets left and right. I mean, they're doing everything to help them. So it's, it's a very interesting difference from uh, back in the late 60s to the uh, mid-2000s. Yeah, right. Oh, How the city of San Francisco was feeling about films being made in the city. Right. So you're going to make a movie about the police where they don't catch the guy? <laughs> yeah, we're not going to be really uh, excited about that. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> I'm sure we're busy that day. <laughs> Uh, but still, uh, a solid film and a great film to kick off the uh, our our conversation on on great car chases because it really is. I mean, this movie takes my dad. Uh, this is another one of those uh, Raiders movies for me. You know, I mean, this was a movie my dad made me watch for the car chase uh, when I was a kid, and uh, totally worth it. Totally worth. It. I was just talking to him before I before we we uh, hit the big red button here tonight, and I told him I was doing Bullet, and I could. You know, you, you kind of hear him choke up with anticipation. Bullet? I'm going to go watch Bullet. I got to go watch Bullet. <laughs> it's Terrific. a classic. It's, it's a, a classic. classic film. You know, Steve McQueen, actually, is somebody who we haven't really talked about, but he's a really interesting actor. Uh, and he, talk about somebody with a troubled life, man. Yeah. He just um, had a really hard start. And because of that, I, it sounded like he really chose to live hard and fast and you know he really got into acting at a good time but it and he did really well for a very long time but he hit that point where he was just he had the big head and started using drugs and and uh ended up um with uh Ally McGraw and they had a their kind of crazy relationship and and I think he finally started slowing down but not um not in time for you know things to hit him and he ended up um getting some uh, pretty awful cancer and, and died at the age of 50. So he, uh, you know, he was a, a, a tough guy. He lived fast and hard and, and had a great life. But boy, did he gave us some great, great films. You know, uh, interestingly, the the movies that he is, there's a list on, on his Wikipedia entry that talks about the movies he, <clears throat> you know, how, uh, uh, who knows how these things played out, but it the way it's framed here are the movies that he turned down or missed. Uh, Breakfast at Tiffany's, um, Ocean's Eleven, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, uh, The Driver, Apocalypse Now, California Split, Dirty Harry, A Bridge Too Far, The French Connection. Uh, but that I think he it says here he turned down because he didn't want to do another cop film. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, fascinating list of movies that would have been very different with Steve McQueen's uh, participation. Butch Definitely. Cassidy, can you imagine? <laughs> uh, speaking of our our next week. Are you ready? Can we yeah, say Yeah, let's do it. What's well, next? you know what? I, one, one last more little thing. thing. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> this is a, a funny little thing that I just noticed flipping through um, IMDb. Joanna Cassidy is listed as having an uncredited bit part in the film. I have no idea where she is. My guess would be the, the airport only because there's a lot of people there. But yeah, Joanna Cassidy of uh, Blade Runner and uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit fame. Um, she is somewhere in this film. Wow. What part? Here we go. I'm going to, I'm going to tell you. What part did Joanna Cassidy have in Bullet? And there's no answer. Survey says. Survey nothing. says nothing. 
Anyone wow. out there who knows where Joanna Cassidy in this film, let us know because now she we are uh, we have landed. piqued our curiosity and we want to know. Bullet. She in 1968 she landed a bit part in Bullet. That's it. That's what it's going to say. <laughs> that's all it says. <laughs> oh, nice, that's nice try. Nice Curse try. you, interweb. Curse you. Another right. another little thing. Sorry, I got yeah. <laughs> one more thing. The opening title sequence, I think, is a fantastic example of great title sequences from the day. Pablo Ferro designed the title sequence for this film, and I, I think it's just a fantastic, uh, a fantastic one. I love the way that the words move off the screen, leaving kind of this ghostly shadow that leads us to the next image. It's a really um, fun title sequence to watch. You know, that is, uh, that's a great point. I'm glad you brought it up because that opening, you know, it opens on that, uh, well, it opens out, uh, you know, exterior of these buildings, these downtown buildings. But as soon as we move inside, it opens on that super kind of uh, blown out uh, wide angle kind of uh, globe thing. Just such mm -hmm. a great way to bring it in when it, when you bring in that uh, that initial title sequence, that bullet. As you see these people walking around, it turns out it's the reflection of this uh, ornament of some sort. Yeah, um, it has a really interesting uh, Watergate sort of. Feel. It really does. I know it was a little early, but it it definitely yeah. has that sort of vibe. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's like uh, it's like they saw this movie. That's right. They got an idea. From <laughs> you know, it. we could totally bullet the Watergate Hotel. I'm sure that line was said. <laughs> you want to bullet the Watergate Hotel? Yeah, let's bullet the Watergate Hotel. I know. It's like a catchphrase. It's a catchphrase. <gasps> we need a catchphrase. We totally bulleted that one. Oh, we totally bulleted that. That's yeah. so good. At least we didn't <laughs> Lucas it. Uh, isn't that the true true? You, you know what we really need? I've been thinking about this because we've been talking about the things we need to, now that we have the websites, uh, you know, we're filling in the blanks on the website. We're going to do our list of lists. We also, I think, need a glossary. That's right. I think we need to start documenting some of the words that we are repurposing for our own use. That's right. We are. Again, I'm going to start a glossary. A whole new cinematic language. All right, so next week we're going to continue our uh, car chase, uh, car chase excitement with, uh, with the fantastic. Uh, I'm I'm going to say uh, automotive spiritual follow up uh, <laughs> to this movie, and uh, we are going to do the French Connection. We are, and the one that doesn't star Steve McQueen. <laughs> I love this movie uh, because of the post, the poster. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> because hilarious. if you look at the poster, it's the the tagline. The time is just right for an out-and-out -out thriller like this. Boy, if that doesn't sell it. Remember when posters were innocent? <laughs> Remember when posters that were business funny. plans? Ugh, I can't wait. Very excited to talk about this movie. Uh, Another, you know, Philip D'Antoni, who produced yep. Bullet, also produced also The produced French Connection. He he really had a, a string between this and, and The French Connection, and, and then I believe he did The Seven Ups after that. Uh, three big time car chase movies um, in the seventies. So yeah, late late sixties, early seventies. Excellent. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, looking forward to more great car chases. Oh, great car chases. This could this could go on forever. It really could. We're gonna have to revisit this car chase uh, series uh, periodically because there's just so many. Oh, we got the we got the good ones. These are good ones to start with. All right, next week French Connection. I got nothing else. You got anything else? I don't have anything else. I think uh, I think we hit it all. Hey, good talking to you. Definitely. We'll see you on the flip side. 
You know what I got the other day, Pete? Stephen King's latest. Want to borrow it? Do you know who you're talking to? What do you mean? Andy, when's the last time I read a paper book? It's been like decades. I would much rather use Kindle or better yet, Audible. What am I thinking? I don't read paper books anymore either. I am an audiobook guy all the way. For those of you looking to listen to the books behind the films we talk about here on The Next Reel, get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at thenextreel.com slash audible. It's the way to go. We covered a lot of great movies that started as books or plays in season two, like Powell and Pressburger's The Red Shoes and The African Queen from our series about legendary cinematographer Jack Cardiff. The Born Identity, Supremacy, Ultimatum, and Legacy. Jaws, Big Fish, The Thing, Bullet, Drive. The Maltese Falcon, Treasure of the Sierra Madre, Moneyball. Ah, Moneyball. The Prestige, The Town, The Killing. So many great movies from so many great sources. Producing this podcast is a lot of fun, but takes a lot of time. We've dropped the dynamically inserted ads because they are so annoying and have no connection to our content. Plus, they just jam those things wherever they see fit. We listened when you said you didn't like them. So now we're directly appealing to you, our dear listener. Please consider an Audible subscription to help support The Next Reel and our family of podcasts. I have been using Audible along with my family for decades now. I love it, and I have read hundreds of books through it. I couldn't be more pleased with their service, and I know you'll love it too. Head to thenextreel.com slash audible and get your free trial. It really helps us out, and you have a world of over 200,000 audiobooks open to you. So much great material available. Dive in with a free 30-day trial at thenextreel.com slash audible. Start listening to amazing audiobooks of your favorite movie source material with your first free audiobook today. That's thenextreel.com slash audible.